Hello, I'm Vernon Mann. It's 1978. The Islamic Revolution is gathering pace in Iran. I'm stuck at Amman Airport in Jordan with a camera crew. As the three of us, camera, sound recordist and me, drink rubbish airport coffee, thousands of protesters are packing the streets of Tehran, hoping to topple the Shah. We really should be there. We're booked on the Jordanian airline Alia, named after King Hussein's daughter, just about the only airline still flying into Tehran right now. The screen says the flight is delayed. Surprise, surprise. We can see the aircraft on the runway and watch as an engineer tinkers with something near the rear landing gear, scratches his head, shrugs and walks away. Soon afterwards, we're allowed to board. There are only eight other passengers on the 747 Jumbo. Reminds me of a similarly empty flight I took to Beirut during the Civil War. Tehran is not a top tourist destination. I'm glad to be going back, though. It's my first revolution as a journalist, and this is my third assignment there as a producer since the unrest began in 1978. Three men doused the wrecked cinema in Abadan with aviation fuel and set it alight, killing 400 people. The ruling Pahlavi dynasty, the Shah's lot, blame Islamic Marxists. The people suspect Savak, his feared secret police. The tragedy kickstarts nationwide unrest. I have a season ticket to history. On the Alia flight I doze for a while and awake to find the aircraft changing direction, its wings dipping alarmingly as it performs a lumbering U-turn. My worst fears are confirmed by the captain. Ladies and gentlemen, Iranian airspace has been closed. Mehrabad Air Traffic Control have ordered us to turn back. Sorry for any inconvenience. Damn it. Back in Amman an hour or so later, grumpy and frustrated, we're at the offices of Arab Wings, a charter company we use a lot in the Middle East to ferry crews around and to ship film when airlines cancel flights in dodgy situations. Yes, film was still on film. Electronic news gathering is still in its early stages, along with mobile phones, satellite transmissions and credit cards. I tell the Arab Wings manager we have to get to Tehran urgently, like now. I fill him in on what had happened to the Alia flight. Are you absolutely sure you can get us in? He says he could, but not right now, because he had a problem. He'd run out of jets. But he says he can get us one in a couple of hours. I have no choice but to believe him. We go for lunch in a cafe near the airport and order an Arabic meze, a selection of local dishes, hummus, bread and, amongst other delicacies, a plate of small, sparrow-sized birds, barely cooked and complete with heads and feet and wings. From an ornithological point of view, I ask, what sort of birds are these? Lebanese, grunts the waiter. We get word that we have a Learjet and that it will soon be ready to go. We abandon the meal, grab a cab and go to Arab Wings office at the airport. The jet is indeed ready, fueled up, pilot and co-pilot, immaculate in their uniforms. We stack the camera kit at the back of the plane and I press the captain for assurance that he will get us in. Inshallah, he replies, God willing. You can't say fairer than that, I guess. He passes me a set of headphones and we jet off down the runway. There's nothing like a Lear, a high-speed business jet, favoured then by the showbiz set, professional sportsmen, rich businessmen and dodgy politicians. Makes you feel sort of special, better than travelling business or even first on a regular airline because the jet is all yours 
and you can tell the pilot where you want to go. It's a bit on the small side when you've got a lot of kit, though. Our stuff was blocking the toilet at the rear. Turns out we didn't need to use it. My headphones crackle into life an hour into the flight. Yes, they really do crackle. And the voice of air traffic control says in heavily accented English, Iranian airspace is closed. You must turn back. My pilot has a brief conversation with him in Arabic. It'll be fine, I thought. But then he turns the jet sharply around and heads back to Jordan. I confess I lose the plot, accusing him of going back on his word, cowardice, the lot. But they said they would scramble just to shoot us down, he cries. What am I to do, get us all killed? I reluctantly agree. He has a fair point. Back in the Arab Wings office, I remonstrate with the manager and say the charter won't be paid for until he gets us to Tehran, and that has to be today. He's not pleased about the non-payment and hotly disputes my complaint about the crew turning back. But he is a businessman, and he says he'll see what he can do about finding another pilot. We sit, sweat and drink sweet tea, wondering if we're ever going to get to Tehran. But after an anxious half an hour, the manager returns with a uniformed pilot, introducing him as Captain Khan, a Pakistani, who says he's worked with Iranians before and knows how their minds work. Most importantly, he says he will get us to Tehran. So we walk optimistically towards the hangar with Captain Khan and his co-pilot, a young Arab guy we're introduced to as Musta. This time, we take a different Lear. It looks a lot newer. The kit still blocks the loo, though. Minutes later, we're airborne for the third time that day. We cruise fast over the desert below. Fingers crossed. Third time lucky, I hope. Maybe, maybe not. And it isn't long before, as expected, the headphones come to life again. We know what the message is. Tehran Airport is closed. Turn around and go back to where you came from. Captain Khan doesn't acknowledge the commands at all. He flies straight on, despite increasingly desperate orders from ground control. You must turn back, you must turn back. Muster cast a worried look at his captain, not liking this at all. I always fall asleep on planes, and this was no exception. Captain Khan, I thought, is confident and seems to be the sort of guy who will chance it, and that was fine by me. We are going to get to Tehran. I was shocked to wake by Muster's scream. He's staring in horror at an Iranian Air Force phantom jet with a Sam-7 heat-seeking missile strapped to its belly, just off our wingtip, one off the other wing as well, so close you can make out the names on their helmets. Shit, I think I said. Muster is sobbing, head in hands, shoulders heaving. He begins to pray, mumbling miserably in his co-pilot's seat. Captain Khan is speaking loudly into his headset, having a conversation in what sounds like Farsi with the lead phantom pilot. Meanwhile, the cameraman films through the window, a good sequence to remember by. Without warning, our Lear turns on its tail and heads skywards on full thrust. One of the phantoms keeps us company as we soar towards space. Then we do a truly stomach-churning dive. The desert below comes up fast to meet us. A thought flashes through my brain. Is this it? We pull out of the dive as my stomach's about to hit the ground, but then we veer violently to the right, then to the left, do a 180-degree roll and climb again. I feel very ill. I see the phantoms. They're wheeling around too. What's going on? Surely we aren't hoping to outmaneuver a phantom. From the recesses of my shaken brain emerges the thought that if they are serious about shooting us down with their Sam-7 heat-seeking rockets, 
Wouldn't they have done so by now? The aerobatics go on for 20 memorable minutes. More climbs, more dives. But then we seem to settle into something resembling normal flight mode. I relax just a little. Muster dares to open his eyes. My stomach begins to settle down. At least we don't seem to have turned back. The phantoms stay with us, one on each side, like mother hens shepherding a naughty chick. Will we be punished? Not today. We go to Tehran, said Captain Khan, turning in his seat with a smile and a twinkle in his eye. It's all okay now. But what was that all about, I asked as my heartbeat begins to slow down. What had happened, apparently, was simply a boy racer in the air affair. The Iranian had asked Captain Khan to show him what a Learjet could do, and he had in spades. Captain Khan said the Iranian pilots were very impressed with the Lear's versatility, and so they should have been. You could have told us it was all a bloody game, I say sourly. We thought we were going to die. I didn't have the time, he said. Turns out Captain Khan had once been seconded to Iran by the Pakistan Air Force to help train their pilots. And remarkably, he knew one of the Phantom guys. The old boy's network is getting us to the revolution. The Phantoms stay with us until we land. Then, with a wave from their cockpits, zoom off to defend the Shah from any other would-be intruders. So here we are in Tehran at last. Result. We unload our gear onto the runway where the Lear has parked and say farewell to Captain Khan. I thank him for his bravado. He says it's the most fun he's had in 17 years as a pilot. I shake his hand, then watch him take off for Amman in a cloud of dust. Mehrabad Airport is deserted. It's been closed for months due to a general strike. We still have camera gear stuck in customs clearance. So, no planes, no nothing. We could do with a couple of airport taxis. The rank, of course, is empty. In the hot sun, we trek across the runway towards the nearest terminal, arrivals. The word eerie is overused, but it is weird to stroll through a huge international air terminal with not even a customs official in sight. We take some baggage trolleys, push them to our kit and load up the silver boxes. We trudge through empty immigration and customs halls, passports unstamped, visas non-existent. We expect to be called out any second by some Jobsworth official, but we weren't, because there's nobody there. We exit the hall and begin the long walk towards the impressive Shayad Tower, a 45-metre building entirely clad in white marble from Isfahan. 8,000 blocks of stone, built in 1971 to commemorate the 2,500th year of the imperial state of Iran. It's now called Azadi Tower, Freedom Tower. It was in the centre of a busy roundabout and we were sure we'd be able to pick up a couple of taxis to take us and the kit into the city. It's quite a stretch away from the terminal and as we get closer we see tanks and army personnel blocking access to the airport and blocking our way out. They couldn't order us back to the airport, I thought. Our Lear had gone. There were no other planes for us to catch. Worst case scenario, I guess, was that they might arrest us for illegal entry. Whatever, we had no choice but to keep going. I walk up to the officer who looks the most senior, cough and tap him on the shoulder. To say he jumped is a bit of an understatement. He wasn't expecting visitors, especially from behind his ring of steel. But he could see we were not Islamic revolutionaries, and once we'd explained who we were and how we'd arrived, the brigadier, for that's what he was, ordered some soldiers to flag down two taxis. Amazing how you can get a cab when you've got a gun. Have a good revolution, he says, while we're loading our kit into the taxis. 
and as we drive off, he raises his hand in mock salute and a shrug of his shoulders, as if he's already resigned to defeat. Thanks for listening. This is Vernon Mann. Join me for the next edition for more tales from the Iranian Revolution. Goodbye for now. Thank you.